0: Good morning Purpose Church, how are we doing? Woo! Yes, this is the rowdy service, I love it, I love it. Hey, I wanna go ahead and invite our uh, ushers forward. We're gonna take our offering. If if you're brand new to us, we wanna make this crystal clear that we take offering every week but this is only for those of us that call this place our home and and we do believe that generous people transform the world Um, but as our guests we just want you to know that we are so glad that you are here as well as well especially since there's a lot of young adults here we want to let you know and remind you that this sunday tonight tonight at 6 p.m is our young adult night can we make a little noise for the young adult night it's been rowdy, it's been fun, it's been good. That's happening at 6 p.m. It's actually over in the building. We have an incredible night planned for you, young adults. A ways for you to connect with each other, grow a little deeper. It's going to be absolutely awesome. So make sure you are there. So I got a text a few weeks ago from a student. And this uh, this text came in. It was uh, it was sort of late in the afternoon, and, and it started with all caps, right? So it's an all caps. So I know immediately, like before even reading, it, I know that this text is going to be meaningful, and I know this text is going to be important. I know that especially for this student, what they're communicating in this text is absolutely everything to them. And this is how the text message begins. It says, "Today in English class, I talked to a girl." I'm like, this is awesome, right? Like, like our boys are talking to girls. That's a good thing. So I'm like, okay, it, today in English class, I talked to this girl, and immediately before I even read on, because it was like dot, 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 I was like, oh man, where's this gonna go? And here's what you need to know about this student. This student has been reading their scripture consistently. This student shows up every single week. This student is being poured into by his leaders, but the question is, what is, this, what is this student gonna tell us about the way that they are living their lives in this text message? And essentially, essentially, this conversation could go in one of two directions, right? Like, like this, this text should read, man, I talked to this girl in English. She gave me her number. We hooked up, right? And he'd be like, that sucks. You know what I mean? Like, that's not good. Or, or, this student could have gone in a totally different direction. And before I share with you what this student said, I think that's a good setup for our conversation this morning because what we're going to be talking about is wisdom. And sometimes, as we're going to see, James is, is articulating that a lot of people, and even us included, we think that wisdom is about our thoughts, that it's about what we think, it's about how, how wise and discerning we are, and we sort of disconnect what we think with what's actually going on. But for this student, this student, As they wrote this text message today, I talked with this girl in English class. And for two whole periods, we talked about Jesus. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. And his students bragging not about how like hot she was or like the fact that she paid him any attention or, you know, any of those. He, he's saying, no, like God was doing something in our midst. And so he was connecting what he's been learning and the wisdom that he has with the actual life that he is living. And you see, I, I want to start out with a question because we are, are inundated with information and opportunities all the time. In fact, I found some stats this week that I wanted to show you that I want you to wrestle with this question. Whose voice are you listening to? Because for this student, they had a moment where this girl's talking to this student and maybe that was a really big deal for this student and the student could have gone in all kinds of different directions and maybe has been influenced in multiple ways just as we are influenced. And I began to think about this question that in terms of wisdom, whose voice are you listening to? And oh man, this is such an important question for all of us. That whose voice has the, the dominant volume in your heart? Who, whose voice do you say, man, I'm listening to that? Is it scripture? Is it what that person thinks will be cool? Is it what's gonna get you that promotion? You see, we're, we're influenced all over the place. I found these stats this week that I wanted to share with you. The first one is this, that Americans, on average, every single day, Americans consume 9.8 hours of media. Think about that. 9.8 hours of your life every single day you are consuming in some form or another media, whether that's radio or newspaper or something you're reading online or social media or music, whatever it may be, you're consuming media 9.8 hours every single day, and there are messages all over the place. What about this one? Americans encounter 5,000 ads every single day. It's actually up, 30 years ago it was 2,000 ads per day, now it's up to 5,000 ads. This means as we're driving, as we're sitting in work, or in school, or wherever we're at with our family and friends, we are inundated by messages that are telling us, this is what you should be doing with your life. This is what is valuable, this is what is important, 5,000 times a day. And then the last one, Americans hear an average of 30,000 unique words every single day. So not only are we interacting with it in media, not only are there ads all around us, but even the people around us are talking and sharing and we're being influenced. And so we have to, at maybe more than any other time in history, we have to answer this question, whose voice are you listening to? And whether you're a student and, and you're maybe in junior high or you're in high school or, or you're in college or you're a young adult or, or you're a family person or you're retired or you're single or married or dating, wherever you find yourself, this question is incredibly important. Whose voice are you choosing to listen to? Because the voice that you choose to listen to will actually affect the direction that you go in. Which leads me to my next question. What guides you? Ultimately, what guides you and and shapes the decisions that you're making? Because if you trust in your feelings, if you lean into your feelings, I've got to tell you this really important fact, and maybe you've never heard this before, but your feelings don't care about you. Did you know that? Did you know your feelings don't care about you? That, that, if you're a single or married dude or girl or whatever you are, and all of a sudden you see somebody that you're attracted to, your feelings are telling you to go and advance that relationship, and your feelings don't care that it's going to ruin your life. Your feelings just want to find as quickly gratification as possible. You see, your, your feelings are bent on satisfying that initial desire, and they don't actually care about you. They just want to be satisfied. And so the second question is, what what ultimately is guiding your life? You see, wisdom has been an incredibly important thing all throughout the history of the world. In fact, in Scripture, there's this ancient story about this guy named Solomon. And Solomon became king after King David. And King David was like the godfather. Like he was the real deal. He was the man. And Solomon is his son. And his son takes over. And he's got to figure out how to lead this empire. He's got to figure out how to rule. And so God speaks to him and says, hey, Solomon, if I could give you one thing, what would you want? And it's a really crazy question. He says, Solomon, you could have anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon says this. He says, Lord, I want wisdom so I can lead the people. I want wisdom so I can lead the people. You see, from the very beginning, this idea of wisdom, meaning how to live our lives, was connected to how we actually might live our lives. God was never concerned with us just knowing all the right answers. He's actually concerned with connecting what we think and what we do. And so Solomon says, God, what I need more than anything is wisdom, not just so I'm really smart and I know what to do, but so that I can actually lead the people and do what it is that you have called me to do. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is broken up into 39 books. And within those 39 books, there's kind of five major sections. There's the law, which are the first five books that kind of tell the story of God creating people and, and God freeing the people from slavery and giving them laws to follow him so that they might flourish. There's the law. There's, there's the historical accounts of the people of God. Then, then there's this category called wisdom literature, And there's actually five books within this category of wisdom literature. And then we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. And so even in our book, this idea of wisdom and what does it mean to be wise was huge for the people of God. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus has this really awesome interaction with somebody where they say to him, Jesus, there's like 613 of these commandments. By the time Jesus shows up on the team, team, by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, There's 613 commandments that the people of God are supposed to follow. So somebody, a wise guy, comes up to him and says, Jesus, of the 613, which is the most important? And maybe some of you have been there before where where you feel like somebody's asking you a trick question and and there's no right answer, that you're you're struggling with, man, what am I supposed to say? And so he asks for what is the most important, singular, what is the singular most important commandment? And Jesus does like that famous Jesus juke. You know what I mean? He just throws it in there. and This is what he says. He says, all right, the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And and he throws this in there before anyone can stop him, before anyone can applaud him and say, good job that we're supposed to love the Lord our God. We're supposed to have a, an awesome vertical relationship with God. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mic drop. Backs away. And Jesus says, these two are the most important commandments. And the guy's going, but no, no, no." I asked for one. He goes, well, you can't understand one without the other. That God is not just interested in you having a vertical relationship with him, but God's deepest desire is that your vertical relationship with him would actually result in a horizontal relationship with others. Another way of saying it is, what is truly righteousness? Righteousness is having right relationship with God and having right relationships with other people. And the two, they flow together. You can't have one without having the other. And so what is wisdom? Here's our definition. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing and doing as God sees and does. Wisdom is seeing and doing as God sees and does. Another way I'm saying it is, wisdom is connecting with the mind and the heart of God to your mind and heart, and connecting the will of God, connecting the activity that God is doing in the world with the activity that you're doing in the world. And here's what's brilliant about God, is he has the ability in all of our jobs, in all of our relationships, in all of our environments that we find ourselves in, to transform our thinking, to transform our doing in such a way that it mirrors him. See, God always had a desire that his people's thoughts and actions would pattern, mirror, and reflect his. You see, wisdom, wisdom isn't just about thinking you're really smart or having all the right answers. In fact, as we're going to see, you know what James is dealing with? James is dealing with smart people who live stupidly. He's dealing with really smart people who just seem to live stupidly, who think that God, God's biggest concern is that you would have all the right answers or that you would know all the wise things to do. And he's going, no, no, you have to connect it with how you actually live your life. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how wisdom is alive. We're gonna talk about wisdom is not just up here, but wisdom is alive. Second thing we're gonna talk about is James is gonna show us that there's this fake wisdom, there's this false wisdom, there's this phony way of living that some people, even in our culture today, value and prize, and he's going, it's empty, it's bankrupt, it's absolutely hopeless. And then lastly, James is gonna give us what real wisdom is about. He's gonna give us what God's wisdom is. He's gonna say, here, I'm gonna give you a list, kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. He's gonna say, I'm gonna give you the fruit of wisdom. What does it look like to be somebody who's actually living with their lives wisely? And so find me, find me in James chapter three, in James chapter three, where as we're gonna find, you're gonna to have to answer this question, which wisdom are you living by? That Are you living by the fake wisdom or are you living by the real wisdom? Are you living by the bankrupt wisdom or are you living by God's wisdom? Find me in James chapter three. James chapter three, as we find out that wisdom is alive. James chapter three, beginning in verse 13, it says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I love this, what James is saying, he's saying, man, if if any of you in this room, if any of you in the audience feel like you are wise and you are understanding, that person has got to show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Essentially what he's saying here is we've got to connect the thoughts with the actions, you know, it's it's crazy. Last Sunday, I was sitting right up here in the student section, and um, and at the end of Glenn's sermon, I don't know what kind of inspired me, but I was like, you know what? This is gonna be the year where I get my body back. You know what I mean? Has anyone ever thought that before? Okay, just me. So I was thinking um, so I'm just kind of feeling like, man, you know what? 30 is gonna be the year where I just get fit, right? I get yoked. I mean, it's gonna happen. This is gonna be the year. I'm gonna start eating right. I don't know why, like I was just really motivated. I was like, I'm gonna start eating right, I'm gonna start working out, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm gonna start doing that. I've got a neighbor, I've got a neighbor who who I go running with this neighbor, and um, and he's really strong and awesome and and amazing and and I'm sometimes those things and, and we go running and it's like charity for him. You know what I mean? I mean he's just like he's like softly jogging and I'm panting, right? I'm like, call Sarah because my heart's giving out right now. But I'm like, you know what, that's gonna change. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get my body back. This is gonna be the year, right? I walk out of the service, no joke. I walk out of the service and I pass by the global cafe, right? And someone in the global cafe says, hey, Eric, um, nobody ate this box of donuts. Do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, I want it. I want it so bad. And so I literally grabbed the donuts. I grabbed the donuts and Sarah's like, really? We need that? I'm like, you don't even know how much of a hypocrite I am because of the crazy revelation I just had. So I'm carrying the donuts back to my car and I literally just start eating these donuts. I'm feeding to my kids. I'm feeding to my friends. I'm throwing out the window at Adrian. I mean, it's just awesome. And I'm like, what is happening? How can I have this disconnect? I mean, how can I literally be sitting in the front row and thinking, man, everything's gonna change. It'd be so wise for me to make these changes, to eat better, to work out, and then literally walk out, and my life totally negates everything that I was thinking. And here's what James is saying is, man, that is so common, but that's not what true wisdom is. That true wisdom is lived out by the way that we carry ourselves, by the deeds that are done. And then look at this word, humility. Humility is a really interesting word because what humility means in, in the Greek language that this text is drawn from is it means to not be overly impressed with one's self-importance. Think about that. And humility means not being overly impressed. Like, you just don't think you're the man. You just don't think you're awesome. And you, You're going, you know I'm just not overly impressed. Now, it, it's not that you, like, like talk crap about yourself, right? It's, it's not that you're um, super negative about yourself. It's just that you look at your world and you you know what? I'm just, I'm just not gonna be overly impressed with my own self-importance. And, and then in the Greek, the word humility, it literally means to understand and function accordingly. It literally means to think and to do in a way that is symmetrical with one another. And so what he's saying, what James is saying is, man, it's so critical and it's so important. That when you think about wisdom, you forget this notion that it belongs up here. But you know that when God is teaching you any kind of wisdom, it's that his desire is that your head and your heart and your hands would be connected to his heart and hands. That everything about what you do would be connected to what he is doing. And so he says, Wisdom is actually alive. Well, then he jumps into describing a, a kind of false wisdom, a kind of fake wisdom that a lot of people, that I personally even find myself living in and justifying. Check out what he says next in verse 14. But if you harbor, I love this word harbor, but if you harbor, meaning like allow it to kind of set in the dock, allow it to kind of hang out there for a while, allow it to set up roots in you, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or do not deny the truth. This word envy, a good definition for envy is this, I want what you have. That's what envy is. As envious, I want what you have. And what I love about the description is, let's go back real quick. What I love about the description is it says that it produces a bitterness. So you you, you being envious of what somebody else has that you don't have, that is not going to make you better. That's going to make you bitter every time. Now, that's not going to lead you to a life of fulfillment and fruitfulness, but it's going to cause you to be withdrawn. It's going to cause you to break and to disintegrate in your spirit. It's going to destroy you because it makes you bitter. And you're looking at the world and you're going, man, I want that. I want that. I want that. And God's going, but I've given you things that I have a unique plan for you. And I don't know what you're envious about. Maybe you're envious about someone else's spouse. Maybe you're envious about someone else's career, how someone else's kids have turned out. And the problem with being envy is it doesn't allow you to be present. That whenever you're envy, you're way out over there in a future, in a reality that is not your own, and you're jealous, and you're bitter, and you're broken, and it's causing you, it's, it's disabling you from having the sense of, man, God has called me here. Or maybe some of you need to hear this. The family that God has put you in is the one that he's put you in. That the friendships, the workplace you find yourself in, that God has you there and you can spend all of your time and your energy saying, man, I just want to be over there. I just want to be doing that. And he's going, man, that's only gonna make you bitter. And worst of all, you're gonna miss out on the unique thing that I wanna do in and through your life. And then secondly, he says, bitter envy and selfish ambition. You know what selfishness is? It's this. Selfishness is I am the most important person always, that I'm the most important person in the room. That when we're selfish, we walk into any situation, any scenario, we say, it's ultimately about me, that I'm number one. So how does this relationship serve me? And some of you, you're going from girlfriend or boyfriend, number six to seven, because you've got so much envy because as soon as you start dating someone or you're in a marriage or whatever, you're going, man, why isn't it like that? Why isn't it like that? Why isn't it like that? And you're also going, man, why aren't my needs being met? Why aren't I being fulfilled? And it's all about you all the time, and so nobody wants to be around you. Nobody can stand to be in relationships long enough with you because you're full of bitter envy and you're selfishly ambitious. And the problem with this is that we oftentimes boast about it. It's sometimes the most arrogant or prideful people in our lives that we admire. And what, what happens is when you get into this place, because our heart is hard and we begin to boast or we deny that we have that disease at all, but it's incredibly dangerous. And James is gonna tell us why it's dangerous to have these as the way that we're living, why it's dangerous and how it's dangerous. Check out verse 15. James says this, such wisdom, right, such wisdom, this idea of living with bitterness and with envy and with selfish ambition, this kind of wisdom does not come down from heaven. But here's why it's so dangerous. Here's why it's so dangerous to allow your envy and your selfishness to go unchecked. Here's why it's so dangerous for you to be that kind of person in relationships and in the workplace because it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I mean, this is powerful. What he's saying is it's earthly in that it lacks any of the supernatural. It, it, it's, it's, it's earthy in that it's surface level living. It's the kind of living that you don't have to work hard for, right? I mean, you, you're never at a party, you're hanging out with some friends, and they're going, man, what are you working on these days? What, what, what what's, you know, what's God doing in your life? Or what kind of awesome things are, are happening? You're going, oh man, <laughs> I'm just really working on envy right now. You know what I mean? I, I'm just really trying to scope out other people's relationships and just spend a lot of my time thinking about how I wish I was in them. You know what I mean? And nobody's going, Nobody's going. oh man, I've stumbled upon this crazy way of living called selfishness. It's wild. It's wild. I just only think about it. me. And it's so hard. I mean, I have to really wake up in the morning. I have to go, what do I want to eat? It's so difficult for me, right? No, nobody's bragging about that. Because living selfishly and living with envy, it is a surface level way of living. It is what becomes ultimately natural to us as people who are broken and sinful and living in a sinful world. But ultimately, ultimately, it's unspiritual, means it's disconnected from God, and it's demonic. I mean, you, you gotta remember that, that there is some spiritual warfare going on. I mean, you guys, uh, every week before I preach, I, this this week, when I was kind of working on the sermon, I was reading this passage, and I'm sitting in my office by myself working, and you know what I begin to hear? I begin to hear all these lies. I begin to hear, man, you got nothing You can't even read, you don't even understand what this passage is. I I feel all these attacks, and the thing is, the enemy, his deepest desire is to disconnect you from God, to disconnect you from community, to keep you discouraged, and ultimately get you into the place where you're just being selfish and envious because you're too afraid of stepping out. You're too afraid of living into the life that God has created for you because it's too challenging and too difficult, and so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to rob you of that life. And so choosing to boast or to deny that you have some envy or some selfishness is to ultimately allow Satan to win in your life. I was talking with one of my adult leaders recently, and this adult leader was telling me that um, as they've kind of realized some of their own brokenness in their life, instead of denying it, or instead of being a macho man and pretending that he's got no brokenness, you know what he started to do? He started to share it with people. And this leader, this leader said, you know, sometimes people in his life will say, hey, man, you just got to toughen up. You just got to be a tough guy, man. Just overcome, just figure it out. And, And this leader said, you know what, it just doesn't work because what he had discovered is that as he shares, as he is open about his brokenness and his pain and his struggles, you know what has happened? Some serious healing." That God has gotten into his life and changed him and worked in him in a powerful way that would not have been possible had he just remained in envy and selfishness, in hiding, pretending that there's nothing broken about his life. And yet as he got vulnerable and open about it, God began to do something that was absolutely incredible. So why is it dangerous? Because it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's ultimately demonic. But how how is it dangerous? Check out verse 16. For where you have envy and where you have selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You see, why is there disorder? Because it's not the orderly way that God created you to live. God always wanted, God always wanted, and always wants you and I to live every step, to live every breath, to live every moment connected to him depending on him, leaning into him, right? This is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is talking about. That, man, don't submit to your own ways. Don't lean into your own understanding, but follow and submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. You see, this is the invitation of Scripture. The invitation of God is to not live a disordered life, and maybe some of you, there's a lot of disorder going on in your life. There's a lot of chaos, and some of that could just be from the outside world, but some of that, could be because you're living with so much envy and so much selfishness that the natural outcome of that is disorder. You see, the natural outcome of following God is, is a life where the chaos and the storm is around you, but there's order and there's peace and there's connection with God. Or maybe there's just plain evil practice that maybe you've seen how your selfishness and your envy has gotten you addicted to the worst and the most painful of things. Here's the good news, here's the good news. James doesn't end his section here. He says, man, wisdom is alive. How you live, that is evidence of what you believe and what you think. What what wisdom really is in you is lived out in how you carry yourselves. And maybe some of you have the fake wisdom of, of envy and selfishness, and that's where you've been. But there's another way. There is, in fact, a better way. And so if that's what fake wisdom looks like, envy and selfishness and disorder and pain and brokenness there is a better way. There is God's wisdom. There is real wisdom. And here is what it looks like. James chapter three, verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is not a wisdom that comes from ourselves. This is not a wisdom that comes from all the ads that we're consuming all the time. This is the wisdom that ultimately comes from heaven, which, which can you think of a better source? I mean, where else would you want to draw true wisdom and and what it means to truly live other than from heaven itself? This is wisdom sent down from God. And it looks like this. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You see, this, this wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom is so much better is so much more beautiful. And when compared to the fake wisdom, it's so clear that this is the real deal. In staff worship, every Tuesday, your whole staff, your pastoral and ministry assistants and directors and coordinators and interns, we all gather together and we worship. And it's been really, really a, an exciting experience. And Pastor Jared or Pastor Jay will lead us in worship. And Jared's always over on this side kind of leading. And I kind of sit over here with some of my friends. And Sam sits over here. Does anyone, is Sam in here at all? I don't even see where she is. There she Okay, so Sam. So Sam sits right next to me. And here's the thing about sitting next to Sam. It's the worst seat in the house, okay? It's absolutely the worst. And here's why. Girl has like perfect pitch. You know what I mean? I mean, she, she has this amazing ability to sing. And I will, sit, I will literally be standing right next to her. And I want to sing, but my like tone deaf and like not pitch perfect like thing that happens when I sing, when compared to Sam right here, it's just awful. You know what I mean? And she'll go like, she'll be like, the Lord take it away. She'll just like do these things, right? She just goes crazy and it sounds so beautiful and so good. And, I, and I'm just like, dang you girl, like what is going on here? And, and when I compare, when I compare like my singing with the real deal, with what like an actual singer sounds like. They're worlds apart. And I'm not more drawn to my singing. I'm like, oh, the tone deaf thing sounds really cool. I'm gonna keep doing that. No, I look at her, I listen to her, and I go, how could I have that? Like, what could I do to have that? And you see this list that James is gonna give us as we're gonna break it down one by one. He's gonna say this is the kind of thing, this is the fruit of wisdom, these are the traits, these are the roles that God wants to sort of instill in you, and the question is, will you participate in the work that he's doing? So now that we kind of have a roadmap of man, this is what wisdom is, this is what God wants to do in your life, the question is, will you join him in that, or will you resist him in that? Because you have two options. And as you participate in these things, you will find that the Holy Spirit will begin to instill them in you. He will download them in you. He will install them in you in such a way that they actually become real. And so initially, initially, you may look at this list and say, man, I, I am none of those things. And you may have to begin to start trying and doing those things. But what you are gonna find is that these are the things that God is ultimately trying to do in you. And so you can either partner with him or you can rebel against him. And so the first thing that God wants to do is create a sense of purity in you. You see, purity, when I think of the word purity, I think of godly. I think of something that's whole and complete. I think of something that's well thought out. And so right now, I want you to think about the hundreds of decisions that you have made already today and the hundreds of decisions that you will continue to make. I want you to think about your spouse and your kids. I want you to think about your roommates, your friends, what it's like to be on the school campus that you're on. And God is asking and desiring that these things would be the character traits, that these things would mark you as somebody who is truly wise, not just up here, but out there. And so he says with purity. The very first one is so important, that God wants to instill purity in us, meaning that when we look at people, when we look at situations, we see them clearly. We see them as God wants us to see them, that when we interact with people, there's not false motives there's not this selfishness about him, but, but we're purely trying to interact and care for other people. The second one he gives us is peace-loving. I mean, it's, it's not just somebody who like you know, wants to see peace out in the world. No, this is somebody who literally loves peace. Like It's what you wake up thinking about. You're going, man, how can I bring people together? How can I help resolve conflict that is going on around me? Bob Goff, who's this uh, author and this amazing lawyer, He talks about how he goes into all kinds of different international environments. And and he uses international law to free uh, women and children from slavery. People who have been taken advantage of by systems that are in place. He goes and he tries to rectify that and make that better. And he talks about in his book that, that whenever he gets into this conversation with somebody who's just evil... who who they're trying to corrupt others, they're trying to coerce others, they're trying to ruin people's lives by the system that gives them more money or whatever it may be. He says that he sits down at the table and as he's having a conversation with them, you know what he does with his hands? He puts them open. Because everything in him wants to hold his fist tight. Everything within him wants to hit these people. Everything within him wants to rage. But he recognizes that that's not a fruit of wisdom. But what is a fruit of wisdom is having hands open that say, okay, God, how do you want to bring peace to this situation? I wonder if some of you need to have a conversation tonight with your spouse because there's some tension and everything in you wants to clutch up and tighten up, man, and you've got the arsenal ready to go, man. You know what bullets you're gonna fire. You know exactly what you wanna say to ruin them. And maybe God wants you to sit down at that table and put your hands open and put them up and say, okay, God, Help me to be about peace. Help me to love peace. The next one he gives us is he says, be considerate. In the original language, this idea of being considerate has an image attached to it, and it's an image of being non-combative. It means you walk into conversations and and you're thinking, okay, how is this person going to hear this, right? Right? We've talked about this a lot, right? Husbands, it's not really about what we say. It's about how we say it, right? It, it, it's rarely, in fact, in any kind of conversation, exactly what you're saying. It's really about how is it that you're going about saying those things. Are you going about it with a sense of consideration for the other person? I, I, I just want to confess. I feel like sometimes our stories are just about awesome successes, but I, I just want to confess. You know, this last week, Sarah and I, um, I was working on a sermon for something else, and I'm sitting down, and, and I was so like in the motion and so in in the in the groove, and I'm trying to kind of ride and whatever, and and Sarah comes and she sits next to me, and she's sitting next to me, and I mean I just have the most amazing, incredible, brilliant, awesome wife, and she sits next to me because she wants to hang out, and you know what? I was a total jerk. You know what I said to her, and maybe husbands, maybe you've said something stupid too, but I say, I'm like, babe, are you going to sit this close to me? <laughs> Yeah, come on. I mean, let's just be real. That's like, that's like, you know, husbandry 101. Like, why would you say that? Like, why was I not be like, she just wanted to sit next to me. And I was so in the zone. I was so in my, and maybe some of you guys or gals have been there before where you're just so locked in to what you're doing that you forget to be considered. And maybe, in fact, you're so selfish, like I am at times with all of my time, and with all the things that I want to do, that as soon as somebody wants to interact with me, it can become a burden. And so I say something so stupid and so ridiculous to my wife, and luckily, luckily, she's the most forgiving woman in the entire world. And so she forgave me, and we worked through it, and we talked through it, but you know what? I lacked all consideration for her. So I when you think about the relationships in your life, are you a considerate person? If, if there was a, like a multiple choice sheet, and your friend was filling it out and saying, this is how I would describe them, would they check the box considerate? The next one he says is submissive. Submissive has behind it this idea of a willingness to yield, a willingness to yield. Husbands, do you have a willingness to yield to your wife? Annie Stanley has this amazing quote I love. He says, He says, Marriage is a submission competition. It's about submitting to one another. It's about serving one another. It's about having a willingness to yield. Do you, you know, if if you think about it, it's kind of like on a, you know, on on a, on a street where you got that yield sign. Are you willing to look at the movement of a situation or a conversation or a relationship and are you willing to yield to it or are you so quick to insert yourself and say, this one's about me? I'm calling the shots here. In the workplace, man, this has been incredibly challenging for me. I lead our student ministries team. And more often than not, as a selfish person, I want to just insert my way of leading. And this week, I've had to really wrestle with that and go, what does it look like to yield, to have a willingness to yield to the people around you? Because what if, what if there's a better idea than the one you have? What if there's a better way to doing the thing that you're doing? That what if that comment that your spouse wants to share with you is gonna literally change the course of your marriage but because you're so quick to mow over them, you'll never hear it. So what would it look like to be people that have a willingness to yield that are submissive? Full of mercy. I love that he put the word full in there. It's not just like a little bit merciful. It's not just merciful on Sundays. It's not just merciful when like one person cuts you off but like when two people cut you off. it's not just like having a little bit of compassion when you feel, no, he's saying the person who has wisdom at the core of who they are, who has heavenly wisdom as a part of their lives, they are the kind of person who's full of mercy, like literally looking for opportunities to forgive. Are, are, Are you and I looking for opportunities to resent are, are we waiting for maybe that's that relationship in our lives where we're like, man, they've done these three things row. If they do it one more time, I can't wait to find them doing that one last time. And man, I'm gonna let them know that they've done it every single time for the last month. Are we those kind of people or are we full of mercy? Are we the kind of people who walk around and go, man, this just sounds weird, but I can't wait for people to wrong me. I can't wait for somebody to cut me off because I want to show mercy. Because man, how many times have you cut off God? I mean, how many times? Has God said, follow me here? And you're going, I don't think so. I'm gonna go this way. I mean, Jesus didn't come down and die on the cross because he was bored. He didn't come down and die on the cross because he had nothing better going on. He came down and died on a cross because you and I's waywardness, because you and I cutting him off all over the place was ruining our relationship with him and with all of creation. And so he gave up his life so that we could be people like him who are full of mercy. I mean, your kids, your kids. When your kids do something that you're just going, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. And they've done it for the fourth or fifth time that hour, you know what I mean? Are you the kind of person that you're just going, man, I feel like I'm a disappointment. That's really why we're getting mad at our kids, right? Because we feel like we're, we're the worst parents. But I'm gonna be full of mercy with our kids. Next one he talks about, good fruit. This means that the way you're living your life has a track record behind it. That people people are being blessed because of the way you are living your life. Impartial. I think a lot of us live with certain narratives, right? We've interacted with a person long enough and we begin to think, okay, this is exactly how this person is going to act. When they send this text, when they send this message, when this thing happens, I know exactly what they're thinking. And maybe some of us, maybe we wouldn't even want to vocalize this, but we're prejudiced. That it's against some kind of race, it's against some kind of culture, it's against some kind of other community, and, and we just find ourselves to be partial, to be prejudiced, to believe in some kind of narratives. And the problem is that clouds our ability to see people and to do what God has called us to do. It clouds it, it makes it impossible for us. And so true wisdom has an impartiality about it. It has the ability to look at situations with fresh eyes. And lastly, sincere. This means to be genuine. This means to be the kind of person who you look at other people, you look at your world, you say, how can I make this better? How can I be a blessing? And it's it's something of sincerity. There's this quote by uh, this pastor, Brian Houston. He's, He's the pastor of the Hillsong Global Church. He says this, a leader's goal is to give honor quicker than you expect it, to champion others rather than demanding that others champion you. This is what sincere leadership looks like. This is what it looks like to be somebody who the fruits of wisdom are just spilling out of you as you look at the people around you and you say, it is my goal. And man, we don't, the best example, the best example that any of us have of this is our senior pastor, Glenn. Like Glenn is this kind of guy. You should see him in meetings. I mean, he is so quick to give away honor. He is so quick to encourage others. He is so quick to speak into others' lives. And he never demands, he never demands that people champion him, though he should. Instead, he chooses to champion others. When you walk into your workplaces of leadership or into your relationships, your marriages with kids, Are you the kind of person that says, okay, this place needs to give me honor? Or are you saying, who can I honor? Are you saying, I'm the champion here? Or are you looking to highlight the champions here? So, what is this? What is this fruit of the wisdom? It's these. It's the kind of thing that God is longing to do in your life, and it takes work. And it takes practice. Charlie is uh, Charlie just started kung fu. Okay, anyone else ever taken kung fu and been in kung fu before? Cool. He could beat all you up. So he's in kung fu. Charlie's in kung fu right now, and as he sits there with his shifu, and as they're teaching him all these moves, one of the first questions, one of the first questions that his shifu master asks him is this: He says, "What are we training for?" And you know what they ask? You know the answer? It's a bunch of four-year-olds. There's like 10 four-year-olds in this class who literally have not figured out how to stop eating their boogers, right? Like this is, this is, this is the caliber of these kids. This is the caliber here. It's a bunch of whirly, crazy four-year-olds. And the shifu asks him, he says, what are we training for? And all the kids answer in unison. They say, world championship. Like there's a world championship that Charlie's gonna somehow enter? Like that's insane to me, right? And then he asks him, then the shifu asks him, he says, how do we get there? And Charlie goes, practice, 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 homework, chores. And I'm like, that's awesome. But he, he's, going, he's going, what are we training for? What are we training for? We are training for the world championship. We are literally training to be the best in the entire world. As followers of Jesus, we are literally training to be the kinds of people who go out to the world full of wisdom, that when the world interacts with it, they go, man, something is different about that person. Because as soon as God changes you, he will begin to change those around you. He will begin to change your environments. He will begin to do things in and through you that you are blown away by. Because that's what he does. If you're into that kind of fruit of wisdom. I've got a... I got a friend who's a, who's a police officer and this friend does, uh, is doing surveillance right now. And this friend sits in a hot car all day long doing surveillance. And he's got a partner with him and this friend has had different partners. And there's one specific, there's one specific officer who's just having a really challenging time in the department. And people have looked at this officer and just said, I, we don't want to be around him. And we can't deal with him. Can he just move on already? And so the sergeant, he's perplexed because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do with this officer that nobody else wants to be around. But my friend, who's in the worst of conditions, it's hotter than 100 degrees in that car all day long. It's challenging work. It's demanding work my friend walks into his sergeant's office and says, hey, why don't you put that guy with me? I'll take him. You see, that's somebody who's submissive. That's somebody who's considerate. That's somebody who's who's saying, man, peace loving is what God desires. I wanna see if there could be any kind of peace in this situation. And nobody else wants to do this but because this friend has the fruit of wisdom living in and out of him. He's gonna be that kind of person. I was interacting with a former gang member a few weeks ago, we were having lunch. And this gang member went to prison and met Christ and came out of prison and started working with a church. And one day this former gang member was passing out flyers in a park for an amazing church event, an outreach that was coming up. And a rival gang member came up to him, pulled out a gun and put it in his face. And this friend, he said, I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm right with God. Are you? A few weeks later, he was passing out flyers again. A different gang member came up to him and did the exact same thing. And he said, hey, I told the last guy, I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm right with God. Are you right with God? You see, that That only happens with somebody who, who has the fruit of wisdom living in them whose life has truly been changed by God in such a radical way that where there used to be violence, now there's peace. Where there used to be demands, now there's submission. Where there used to be my way or the highway, there's consideration. Because when God comes down and installs in us his wisdom, things change. That you're a different person and you could either continue to live in that envy and in that selfishness or you could live with the fruit of wisdom that will change you and all those around you and so i want to challenge you to partner with god in the work that he wants to do in and through you so I'm going to throw up that last that slide of the scripture of the fruit of wisdom and i want you to look at that list let's go back to the last one verse 17 but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Here's what we're going to do for one minute. I want you to answer this question. Which fruit is God wanting to develop in you? Now, which of these, when you look at you go, man, I've got about zero of that in me. And what we're going to do silently on our own is we're going to do some business with God we're going to ask God, God, would you develop submission in me? And then this week, you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you all kinds of opportunities to submit. That's that's his favorite way to teach you. Or if you're going, man, I just need to be considerate. Man, he is going to put opportunities in your way where you are not going to want to be considerate. Because as verse 18 says, we don't have to go to it. As verse 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. As we begin to live these out, we will see them become real within us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're silent, just for a few seconds here, as we think about this list, I pray, God, that you would put in us and instill in us and teach us which of these fruits of wisdom do you want to work in us? Lord, is it purity? Purity? Is it peace-loving? Is it consideration? Is it becoming more submissive? Is it more mercy? Is it good fruit? Is it being impartial or sincere? God, I thank you that you are always at work within your people, that you never leave us out to dry, but that, God, you wanna shape in us the things of you not the things of ourselves but the things of you so god this week would we answer that question what is the fruit you want to develop in us and then would you give us opportunities to live that out thank you for connecting our head our heart and our hands with your head your heart and your hands we love you god